unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Coming up on this week's program, we're going to do a media spotlight, if you will. Adam Eaton, Eric Lopez will join me as we talk about all things that are happening in broadcast media. They are standing by in the virtual green room and they will join us here in just a few moments. So, were you like me with your heart in your throat on the Florida State Notre Dame game when Mackenzie Milton hit the field for the Seminoles and nearly rallied them to a victory? He got them to a tie game. But, uh, boy, it's <laughs> just t- totally... Words are not enough. Words are not enough. After all he endured with that horrific injury in 2018 at South Florida. I was at that game. It was the most depressing thing I think I've ever seen at a live football event. Uh, and, and it was just so gut-wrenching. And the drive home from Tampa was excruciating from that regard but uh man to see everything that he has done to get back on the football field let you know let alone just to to walk normally again after possibly you know the possibility of losing his leg and there he is you know (laughs) the best line i saw was that bobby bowden had slapped jordan travis's helmet off so mckenzie could get into the game of boy i don't know why he's not starting you know travis wasn't terrible he was decent, but uh, McKenzie's got the magic. <laughs> There's just no other way to say it. He just knows how to win. And uh, Florida State, if they want to, they want to make a serious push in the ACC. They need to put number ten there. And of course, Big Twelve expansion boy news accelerated quickly last week, and henceforth this week as well. UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston from the AAC and independent BYU look to be joining the Big 12 and becoming part of the Power Five. Uh, no, it's been reported that Cincinnati and UCF submitted their applications today. We're recording this on Wednesday, September the 8th. And that uh, the vote and the announcement could be Friday that they all four will be in. T- just a tough kick in the nuts for the for the American to lose their two best football teams and their best basketball team uh, to the Big 12. So that is, uh, you know, it's I've got mixed emotions on it. You know, I still think the American is on par with the Big 12 and the Pac-12 already, but they don't have the Autonomous 5 designation. You, you know, it'll remain to be seen if the Big 12 will be able to keep that, I think, for now. But I think if the due diligence has been done by these schools, I think, you know, that's got to be part of the deal that uh, that they wouldn't have to take a step backwards after taking a step forward. Uh, well, you know, it's uh, realignment, shape-shifting, all that good stuff in college football. And, you know, this is going to be, uh, you know, over the course of the next you know, year or two, we'll see what happens because, you know, now the American will have to go raid Conference USA, who will then turn raid the Sun Belt, and it goes on and on and on. So uh, it's tricky. It's tricky, but, uh, you know, for the teams that, you know, get elevated, it's definitely, you know, what what they want and and that stature they desire. 
Oh yes, pro football is back. Yes, now that the college game has re-emerged in 2020 with full stadiums and all that good stuff. Now we got the National Football League kicking off in high gear. Bucks and Cowboys in Tampa Thursday night opener. Maybe I should have played the NBC theme music for this, but uh, how could you not resist? This music just speaks NFL being back. (laughs) So here we go, folks. 17-game season now. Got to get used to that. It's going to be a little bit odd. Of course, player safety has nothing to do with it. I'm going to let this finish out because I just love this theme so much. Yeah. Stepped on the ending there. (laughs) Am I a professional broadcaster or what? Uh, Yes. So uh, anyway, it'll be great to have the NFL back. And of course, the one thing I always look forward to is watching Andrew Siciliano on the Red Zone channel on DirecTV. And uh, it's always great, you know, with the Cowboys playing on this opening on Thursday night. means I can watch the Red Zone channel all day long. Baseball Hall Hall of Fame induction held today. The 2020 class, including... Longtime Colorado Rocky Larry Walker, Derek Jeter, the Yankee great. They were voted in by the baseball writers. Ted Simmons on the veteran committee vote. And Marvin Miller, former union boss who, you know, had a big, big play in in free agency and all that. And he was also a veteran committee vote. And uh, again, they were not able to do the ceremony last year because of COVID. The 2021 class is empty. Uh, the baseball writers did not vote anyone in, and the veteran committee did not hold a vote during their virtual winter meetings over the off season. But uh, boy, I tell you what, uh, you know, Larry Walker's an interesting case. He put up a lot of a lot of uh, big numbers in Colorado. Uh, you know, is he Hall of Fame worthy? Is he on the borderline? I mean, I, boy, I have a hard hard time with that one. You know, Derek Jeter. Uh, you know, I mean, he's 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 just such a great competitor and, and all that. I mean, but if you look at his number, Ted Simmons, no way. He, now his was long overdue, as well as Marvin Miller. Uh, Marvin Miller did so much f- for the players. Ted Simmons was a cardinal great catcher. Um, you know, and he was, you know, he was right up there. You know, he. I would say back in when he played, he was number two to Johnny Bench. Um, you know, you, you look at that era of Bench, uh, Carlton Visk. And Ted Simmons, and you, you think of those great catchers. But the Hall of Fame has their inductions in baseball. Congratulations to all of them. It starts off with this very high-tech synthosequency type thing, like this. That's the news. Big finish! 
right, as we bring in Adam Eaton and Eric Lopez, as we do a, a media spotlight, guys, I brought you in to an old clip from the old movie Broadcast News, where the two composers uh, are trying to sell the producers on a new theme song. So it's very, it's it's comic gold. Um, but, uh, you know, I started to think about this segment. Do I want to call it Media Spotlight? Do I want to call it Broadcast News? Do you want to call it Dirty Laundry? Uh, you know, there's all sorts of possibilities we could go with this. So, uh if you have any media, media scoops, media, you know, the, uh, the the local sports reporters. I don't know. The sports reporters was always my favorite. But uh, this is kind of like TV journalism or something. I don't know. We'll figure something out. Adam's the more creative one of the of the group. Yeah, let's just not go dirty laundry. I feel like that that's a, that's a whole other podcast. I think that I don't know that we want to un, unleash maybe a late night show. We can we can work on that later. <laughs> there you go. Pipeline. That, we'll put that one in the pipeline. There. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Well, although Dirty Laundry was kind of a, a theme of the Rachel Nichols, Maria Taylor uh, situation, and uh, we got the, all the final fallout of that. So as predicted, uh, I know, I think Eric was the first to say it, uh, uh, if not Adam, but uh, ESPN loses both in the long run with uh, Maria going to NBC. Rachel Nichols will essentially be bought out and, and wait her time. But uh, my question is, when do we see her lawsuit? <laughs> Ooh, that's a great question, right? Like, I believe she has about a year left in her contract. I got to believe that her and ESPN are going to come to some terms where they let her walk out of that contract. That's why, you know, when they kind of made the announcement that she was no longer going to be on TV and the jump, although the jump, by the way, it's weird. They said it was done, but yet they, they did an episode on Wednesday with George Sedano hosting. So I'm really confused what the heck's going on. But... um. I think she will eventually, I think she's going to get a deal because I think ESPN knows they kind of screwed the boots here. I mean, she was under contract. She had in her contract, she was supposed to host the finals. That didn't happen. This has just been a mess. And I think everybody's going to start clean. And I think from Rachel's standpoint, she probably wants to land somewhere because I think her next landing spot's going to have NBA. So let's say she goes to Turner or she goes to NBA TV, some role like that. She probably wants to have that set by October. So I think they're going to have to work that out where she can get out of her contract. They probably come to some terms and she lands wherever she ends up landing by the start of the NBA season at some point. I can't unless she just sits at home like Michelle Beadle's been doing and collecting a check at home, which, you know, if it was Adam and me, we would take that deal in a heartbeat, right, Adam? I mean, yeah, what do I sign up? Well, don't forget, I mean, she left ESPN once. She was at, what, CNN, I think, for, for a spell of some sort, right? So, yeah. you know, maybe she tries the news route. I agree. I think the NBA is her passion. She seems to like that a lot. I mean, I think, to your point, Jeff, we all saw this coming. Really, the only question is, what took so long? What, what took so long from when we knew this was happening to seems like months passed and maybe ESPN just wants to kind of bury everything and focus Focus on the finals and not bring this up. But another, you know, six, eight weeks pass, and all of a sudden, like, oh, by the way, Rachel Nichols won't appear on air anymore. What happened in those six to eight weeks? So Eric's point, were they negotiating? Were they trying to come to an, an agreement where they would let Rachel kind of out of the contract and she was, you know, kind of holding firm to something? Because it was the worst kept secret in the world, right? And and it's just it's typical ESPN. They end up losing them both, right? And that's I think that's the ironic thing here is they couldn't repair their relationship and it, it really cost them both. And, and both of them are super talented. We'll see what Maria Taylor does at NBC. That feels like a weird fit to me. 
she popped up every now and again at the Olympics. And I was like, oh, there's Maria Taylor. And then she was gone. Uh, and so we'll see how that works out. Obviously, she's doing some stuff with the uh, the NFL Sunday night stuff, which is obviously MB, uh, NBC's marquee stuff. But worst kept secret around it. Just what, what took so long? What was the back channeling going on? Were the negotiations? And why does the jump, you know, get the ax on this too? I mean, while I understand that was Rachel's vehicle, to, to Eric's point, I mean, it's it's a pretty good show. They have a, a stable of, of, of quality guys. Sedano, I'm always a, a Miami fan, right? Sedano does a nice job on that. Why did the jump take the brunt of this too? I feel like that could have lived on just sans Rachel Nichols. I wonder if it's because maybe it was Rachel's idea. Maybe there was some agreement. Maybe Rachel has some creative uh, say on the, the show, the jump, you know what I mean? Like creative rights. It'd be like, sure. it'd be like if you got rid of like, you know, Mike on Sons of UCF, you know, there might be some rights deals you and Mike have to work out. Maybe you can't call it Sons of UCF if Mike owns part of it, you know, or if, if you left the show. So I think that's probably what happened here. I think they just want to start fresh with a new NBA show because I think they feel like if you keep calling it the jump, people are always going to think back to Rachel Nichols saga, perhaps. That's just my, I agree with you because I like to jump. That's the, as an NBA fan, I'm very bothered right now. But that's my theory is I think they just want to name it something else so people don't think about Rachel Nichols. And maybe. Well, the problem is, yeah, I mean, they're going to go to another boring studio show. And that's the challenge. The jump wasn't a boring studio show. It was lively. It was banter. I mean, the, the athletes on there were always good. They're going to go to another boring studio show where, you know, and let's uh, look at the highlights from last night. Right. And it's going to be a, you know, a God bless Tim Legler. Right. But it's going to be somebody breaking down highlights. It's going to be a boring show versus what the jump was. And so I think that's a, that's the frustrating part. If you keep the DNA of the jump and just call it the tip or something, I don't know. But I mean, I, I don't think it, I don't, I don't, I don't think you can go to another boring NBA studio show, which seems to be ESPN's recipe. Yeah. You know, I also kind of think too, that, you know, maybe you know, as Eric said, maybe she had some creative piece of that. And the fact is, okay, well, she has that chip in her pocket of being recorded without her consent uh, that she can play in that. Clearly. Scenario. I think yeah. clearly that's a big part of this. And I think that's why, you know, you've noticed there was no negative words, each other. They just kind of, Hey, we're just going to part ways. I think everybody's towing the lines here a little bit. And I think everybody understands how this got botched. So it's kind of like, what's the best path to move forward with everybody? You know, you mentioned the NBA show. It depends who the host will be. Is it George Sedano? Is it a Malika Andrews? Who is it? Uh, who's going to be involved in it? My guess is the other thing is the jump was a yearly show. I wonder if part of this is that ESPN does not want to commit to an NBA show year round. Well, I thought I read someplace where ESPN is, is required by the contract of the NBA to have a certain number of hours of programming. Right. So I, I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't to your point, Eric. I don't know if that equates to a, a 12 month show or if that's a, that's an eight or nine month show. But let's face ESPN is at a crossroads with his NBA talent. Right? Where, where do you go from here? Right. We've tried Jalen Rose. He's not bad. Jay will. I just don't think has ever really meshed with the NBA stuff. He's, he feels like more of a college voice he, to me. Yep. Yep. You know, Kendrick Perkins is doing OK, but you're not going to go to him for really good analysis. Right. He's, he's good for a one liner or a joke that Charles Barkley type of role. You know, there's rumors of Stephen A. Smith and hold your breath. Magic Johnson getting back together again. Uh, I mean, is that what Mike Wilbon? Is that what we want? Like where's, where's ESPN going to go for NBA talent at this point? Vince Carter's coming along, but is he ready to step into that? Stan Van Gundy, who I think is fantastic. Just went back to Turner. Where are they going to go get NBA talent at this point? Because are they laying around? Are they under rocks? I'm not aware of because they're going to be in a, in a really interesting um, sort of starting over point. And I mean, TNT is already miles and miles and miles ahead of them. And this just feels like to, 
our own analogy. Oh yeah, from 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 our life, this feels like uh, the knights and the cows right now. I mean, the distance is just is just growing by the day. Immensely. And remember, the NBA TNT has nights now on Tuesday nights and Thursday nights. They're going to highlight Tuesday nights more during football season, which I think is smart because Thursday nights there's NFL. Again, if Rachel goes back there, I could see her landing as a host on one of those on that Tuesday night when Ernie's not host, even, you know, things like that. To your point about the NBA, because this goes into that halftime, the uh, the countdown show, if you will. You know, do they go to Stephen A. Smith? Do they just finally just give him the show? Because they kind of teased this for the last couple of years. They gave Stephen A. Smith the Sports Center before the countdown show. Sports Center always goes to him and Will Bond. I feel like they've always teased to go this route. So I think they're going to go that route with Stephen A involved in it. Or the other one I heard, if you remember the NBA draft night, they did this weird simulcast where you had Reese Davis hosting on ESPN and you had Kevin Nagandi hosting on ABC. I was told, uh, or not, I was not told, I read that that could have been a tryout for Kevin Nagandi as possibly being the host for the NBA games on ABC and ESPN because they want to turn that to a more sports center type show. I'm really surprised um, L. Duncan hasn't come up in conversation. I think she's got a good personality. I think she maybe is more of an NFL person. I guess it's hard to say because she's a sports center. I'm surprised her name hasn't come up. She's she's fun. She's got energy. She's not afraid to mix it up. Uh, I'm surprised her name hasn't come up because I think she would she would bring something interesting to the to the broadcast. Nothing she just signed an me. extension. Now she just exactly. signed an extension. So maybe we will. Maybe we will no. now. Nothing against yeah. Nagandi or Reese Davis, but I mean, she brings an interesting dynamic that, you know, from a personality standpoint that, you know, I don't know that either of those two gentlemen bring. Oh, no. And I think clearly ESPN views her as, as an up and coming star in their ranks. That's uh, for sure. So you mentioned Maria Taylor going to NBC. So, you know, NBC with Football Night in America now is uh, adding Maria Taylor as a co-host. Uh, you know, Drew Brees will be on there and, and, and whatnot. So they kind of like keep growing this roster uh, for Football Night in America, which, you know, you remember early on when they started, when they first got the contract, they were just rotating people in and out, just trying to find the right mix. And, you know, Costas started off as the original host of, of that show. And then I think they really found their ground when it was really just kind of focused on Dan Patrick and Rodney Harrison and Tony Dungy. And I think that really was the, the solid foundation of the show. And now it kind of feels like they're kind of grasping and going around because, you know, now all of a sudden NBC's got so many mouths to feed. You wonder if they have enough food at the table uh, for, sure. for, for, for this endeavor. Uh, Adam, what's your take? It feels like NBC is always out to to deepen their bench, right? I mean, they, they go get Mike Tirico as a bench for Al Michaels, right? Then they go get Maria Terrell as a bench for Mike Tirico. Then they go get Drew Brees as a bench for Chris Collinsworth. But to your point, Jeff, they don't lose the starters. And so, how do you how do you make all those folks happy? How do you give a guy like Drew Brees who who needs some, he needs reps, right? I mean, I don't know if we know if he's any good. You know, how do you give him the reps he needs to actually grow into the role and not make him Jason Witten 2.0, right? He needs reps. How do you make that happen, Maria? Taylor just signed a big contract. How do you justify that expense? NBC seems to always find the bench, but they don't get rid of and get rid of in loose terms, the starters. So how do you, how do you fit all those folks in? Rodney Harrison got now bumped to the, to the uh, on game site. So he's out of the studio now. Um, they lost Liam McHugh to, uh, to TNT, I think for, for hockey. So, you know, Chris Sims are now all over the place. Mike Florio's there. It just feels like a <laughs> cast of characters. And it seems like they're always, like, if I'm an NBC and I work in the sports department, I'm always looking over my shoulder, like who are they hiring next? Because it always seems like they're hiring somebody behind somebody, but those folks don't leave. So it, now you just got a smorgasbord of people, uh, to your point, Jeff, all just waiting around wondering when their turn comes. Eric? 
I feel, Adam, you just described the entire NFL pregame shows in every network that has a thousand people in it. Yeah. And you're like, this is too many. So why not add another one? Uh, the Drew Brees aspect of it. It's worth pointing out. He will be the analyst this year on Notre Dame football. His first game is going to be the Toledo game. Ooh. Toledo, Notre <laughs> Dame. Yeah, with Mike Tirico. So I think to answer your question about Drew Brees, how do we know if he's good or not? He's going to get his reps with Tirico on Saturdays at Notre Dame games, and then he's going to work with him on the studio. They're clearly pairing it up for him to be eventually the Sunday night guy, to your point. What's funny is nobody's leaving. I think that's going to change next year because I think next year the word is that Amazon will get the, you know, has the Thursday night package. And the belief is they're going to go after Al Michaels. That's where I think everybody believes Al Michaels is going to go. Al Michaels goes to Amazon. Some people believe Michelle, uh, Maria Taylor is going to do sideline on Amazon. And then either Collinsworth or Breeze will be the analyst. Who knows? But that's where you're going to start seeing like, oh, okay, well, you're doing the Thursday night games. Meanwhile, Tariko gets the Sunday night games under contract. And I think that's how it's going to sort of fluid a little bit. But uh, I can't keep up with that pregame show. I used to love that pregame show. When it first debuted with Costas, then you had Dan Patrick, Keith Oberman. Like, I thought it was the best pregame show out there. And it's been watered down since. Uh, to just another pregame show with a, a lot of different faces that, quite frankly, I'm not going to watch the first half hour because there's usually a, an NFL game that's finishing up. Yeah, and they're kind of like trying to do a hybrid, too. They're trying to be part NFL primetime and part pregame show. So it is an interesting dynamic they have there that the other shows don't. Agreed. And, and I think yeah. Maria Taylor's role is just they're kind of figuring it out on the fly, <laughs> I think, right? Like, hey we got her so what do we do now um yeah let's throw her in the olympics and then oh wait let's make sure she gets a, p- a picture with drew Brees to show that they're on good terms now after the uh, little uh controversy about a year ago with those two and uh let's figure out a role for her. i think nbc's trying to figure this out and try to make everybody happy that's why you're going to see Tariko fill in on some games with al again this year well, it's interesting because uh, a do we do we see Maria Taylor on on, uh, on Notre Dame coverage? Anybody know will she will she be part of the sideline? No, you know? uh, no, Catherine Tappan will still Catherine, be the okay. sideline. So it's interesting. I mean, Maria Taylor, while again very talented, I mean she was an NBA, she was a college football voice. The NFL is new to her, right? I mean, not, it's not hard to pick up, I guess, right? But it's it's kind of a new lane for her to carve out. So I'll be curious to see how she does with that. Um, also, by the way, that Notre Dame game is that the one that's only on Peacock? I think that everyone's losing their mind over, right? Is yes, that right, yeah, it's going to yeah. be on Peacock. Which, by the way, speaking of more, if you want more NFL, NBC. Speaking of which, Catherine Tappan and Chris Sims will do a post game show exclusively on Peacock after Sunday Night Football. So if you didn't have enough. <laughs> they're going to use Peacock. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think you're going to see that. And then I think when Tariko eventually takes over the Sunday night play-by-play, Maria will slide into the chair as the host. I think they're just buying time. Well, the good news is if you bought Peacock to watch uh, Olympic basketball, if you held on to it, now you have some use for it, right? Because that was the only way you could watch the uh, <laughs> the, the men's Olympic team. But, yeah, it, it'll be curious to see what they do with all those interchangeable parts. Um, and, and someone's going to get kicked out, right? And and someone's going to have to sort of leave that mix. Yeah, to Eric's point, Al Michaels seems to be the guy that everyone's kind of pointing to. But I would keep an eye on Chris Collinsworth, too. What's, what's his future look like? You know, does does ESPN try to make a run at him at some point if they're not happy with what they have with Greasy and Riddick? Because um, I think I think Collinsworth is going to look around and be like, okay, you're kicking everything out around me. You're doing everything to sort of replace me. You know, maybe I want to get out of here myself. So I, I'd keep an eye on Collinsworth and see what his future looks like. But his son just got promoted. His son is going to yeah. host the, 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 uh, 
outside, like the, uh, on the uh, stadium. Correct. So Jock's going to be with him on these Sunday night football games. Jock's going to be with Rodney Harrison. So does Chris want to give leave his son? Or yeah. is maybe, you know, do they consider – I could see a scenario. How about this scenario? Drew Brees, Chris Collinsworth, Mike Tirico is your three-man booth next year. Kind of like what Fox did like two decades ago when they brought in Troy Aikman with with Joe Buck and Collinsworth. You kind of show them the ropes, and then maybe you move Collinsworth to the studio eventually and have him work with his son, or he departs, like you said. Plus, you do have the Amazon option. Again, he could just go work Thursday night games with with Al. I think Chris is going to be fine. He's going to be more than uh, supplement very well on that. He's going to be financially good in good shape. Yeah, we don't have to start a GoFundMe or anything, but it's going to be interesting to see yeah. where these pieces all land for sure. But I'll give you this bonus point. I think Breeze does a year of Notre Dame football, and then the following year, your friend Adam, Mike Golick, I think steps in there. Get him. I just, Here we go. Mike, <laughs> your boy, that's your friend. Your, that's your credit because he's doing like this national yes. radio game now, right? Yeah. But I, I feel a- like he's, he's kind of waiting for something. Like, I feel like. Yeah. I think he's going to end up on NBC doing Notre Dame football and then maybe do a radio show on Peacock. Doesn't that just sound like it would make a lot of sense for everybody there? It, it does, yeah. It, here's the other thing. Are Notre Dame fans going to embrace Drew Brees? I mean, is that, is that <laughs> going to be a voice they want to – I mean, Doug Flutie didn't really go over well. Like, I think Notre Dame fans would love a Mike Golick or somebody of the Golden Domer era in the booth of them. I, I'm curious to see how – And he's, he's good. Yeah. And he's oh, good. Yeah. He's a veteran. He's good. To your point, he can he can do multiple things, right? If you want radio, he's got that. But he's doing a game of the week on, I think it's Learfield IMG or something like that is, yeah. is what he's doing. He's actually, in an odd twist, he's doing the same game that Mike Golick Jr. is doing on TV this week. So uh, the, the, both Golicks will be competing against each other to see who's, who's the better Golick, I suppose. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, there's a, uh, just tons of uh, tons of roster and not enough work to go around, it looks like. Well, um, I was looking at the uh, at the at the rosters that the uh, the networks released for their announced teams for for the upcoming season, and uh, looking at Fox, I found uh, found kind of interesting that uh, obviously we know Bucket Aikman are the, are the 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 one team, but Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson are going to be a pair. So Greg Olson's already going to get uh, number two C, unless you consider the fact that they listed Adam Amin and Mark Schlereth in the release third. So I guess they're up to the, to the third team status now, which to me, that of all three of those uh, combinations, that might be the best one. I agree. And I wonder, guys, because I'm still skeptical on this Burkhart, Greg Olson. Like, do we know if Greg Olson's going to be good? Like, I know they've had tryouts and stuff. We'll see if he's, if he's good. Maybe he will be. I wonder, though, if he's not, do we eventually see Adam and Schlereth? Well, I think it's been, they have clicked from day one. Uh, do they get to bumped up to that number two? Because Adam Amin is a part of Fox's future. That's clear. I mean, he's good. He's like their number two slash three right now in baseball. He's now up to number three in the NFL. He gets to do some college hoops. He's obviously the voice of the Bulls. I'm with you there, Jeff, in that I think that's to me, if I was me, I would make them the number two. But I think out of respect to Kevin Burkhardt, who's been there a long time and has been that number two guy consistently, they're going to give him that chance with Greg Olson. We'll see how that works. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Greg Olson's been uh, flirting with the booth for like the last five seasons, right? <laughs> so he's like that guy that you've always heard, hey, he's really good. He's going to be good. He's going to be good. And then you're like, is he really good? And he did the XFL, I think, for a while um, when when that was the short-lived thing. I think he was a announcer there. He was okay. Um, I, I wouldn't. I, I watched a couple of his games. I don't recall anything. <laughs> I figured you would. You're, yeah, you're, you're I, too busy I, watching the Big Three? I mean. Big Three was on, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't compete those two things, Eric. It doesn't work out. Um, I mean, he was all right, but I don't remember anything where I'm like, oh, my goodness, here's the future of broadcast. 
podcast thing, just staring me in the eyes right now. Um, so it's, it's curious that he got the, the number two ranking, but uh, you know, I think, Look, he's a name, right? He's he's a name, and he's a he's a recent name. Nothing against Mark Schlereth, but obviously his playing days were in the late '90s, uh, so he's he's a recent name. And I think Fox has shown that they want to go after the. I keep every time we do this, I always bring up Jay Cutler, right? For some reason, they thought Jay Cutler, who says like five words a week in, in total in his life, I assume, uh, was going to be a, a, a color analyst. So I think they go after the name and just hope for, hope it works out. Uh, Olson does have some credibility, and, and he's done some work, so it, it'll be interesting to see. But um, it, we'll see if Burkhart can can draw that out of him right because this will be a challenge for him to, to break in a new partner can what can he draw to greg olson you know and does that help him position himself for you know a, a future number one gig at some point if, if joe buck ever decides to step aside yeah and like i say it was definitely telling to me that uh the amina schlereth were listed third on their on their dev chart because you know they've leapfrogged uh you know kenny albert and uh and jonathan vilma uh for example so you know that is definitely well, i think that tells you they really like the work they did last year and i agree i thought they were fantastic when i watched them all of last year the thing i'm the most excited by the way gus johnson back doing some nfl games they got him in there to do a handful of games and he's going to be working with a keep talib that's got like Twitter written all over that. I feel like that thing is just going to dominate Twitter. We're going to get clips, memes out of that all year when they whenever they pop in for the games. Yeah, I like I like having Gus on there too. I think that's a that's a great move on their part to 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 work him in there. Um, looking at CVS now, I'm looking actually at their what I found notable was in their college ranks that the, their number two college sports announcer will be uh, Noah Eagle, son of Ian. He'll do SEC games uh, when they have extra extra contests and things like that. So I think that is uh, uh, an interesting uh, aspect happening there. Uh, I guess Carter Blackburn has taken some time away. So uh, you, who I think is, is tremendous in his own right. But uh, it's interesting to see how uh, Noah Eagle has climbed the ranks, did that Nickelodeon game uh, with the Super Bowl, and uh, his stock is definitely on the way up. That's a smart move by CBS, right? To, to build a bench at some point, right? They're going to lose the SEC game, you know, so they're not going to have the marquee game every Saturday. Do they attract another conference, right? Do they go after, you know, a, a future Big 12 or whatever? Who knows? Um, so it, it, it helps them, I think, build a bench, um, give a, a young broadcaster a chance. I don't know how much longer Brad Nestler's got in this game, right? I don't know if he's, you know, if he's going to stick around post-SEC stuff. So I think it's a smart move. It gives them a chance to sort of build a bench. I think you, you know the last name, so he, he brings a little bit of credibility, and he's actually pretty pretty good. Um, so I, I think it's a smart move by CBS. Let him get some reps, let him break into some, you know, Arkansas versus Vanderbilt games. And, you know, we get his, you know, not that that'll ever be on CBS by the way. Um, but you know, let him, let him bust his, you know, his, uh, his chops on that. And, and, you know, it, it helps, helps to build the bench at some point, I think from that standpoint. I think that makes an interesting point with the big 12 situation developing and they're going to have a new TV deal. I think they're going to, they're hoping that CBS jumps in and grabs the big 12 package in that three thirty slot. That'd be the best case scenario if you're the big 12. So maybe uh, who knows sons of UCF 2024 guest Noah, Noah, right? Eagle pre- yeah. previewing UCF, Oklahoma maybe. state. Huh? <laughs> I could, I mean, I have to, I have to see to my friend Jeff here in the, the new big 12 report, I assume, which is coming soon. Right? <laughs> uh, so I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe Jeff gets them before I do. I don't know. We'll have to, we'll booking wars. We'll, we'll ensue Jeff. I know Jeff, that could affect your programming. I could affect all our programming. Let's be real. I mean, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But, but, uh, but uh, I don't mind sharing with you guys. So it's Perfect. all, it's, it's all good as far as I'm concerned there. And then the other uh, interesting aspect that I find in the NFL coverage this year is the the new alternate Monday Night Football broadcast with the Manning brothers. And I can't tell you how delighted I was to hear that they decided 
to opt not to have a quote unquote host for this because all I could see is somebody coming in and trying to be the third brother and just kind of, you know, get in the way of things. So I'm very interested to see uh, how, how this broadcast uh, takes shape. Eric, what, you, what do you think? I saw that and it's, you know, I've seen Peyton do interviews and Eli's doing interviews. It's basically going to be the two of them watching the football game and reacting to it and talking football. And I'm thinking, they just ripped off Adam's sons of UCF concept. Like, what's the difference? There's no, right? I mean, Adam's the whole, Adam, you feel, I think you got some legal rights here with the Manning brothers. They're taking your concept nationally mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Uh, Cause they're just two buddies, two talking football. Uh, I hope it works. I'm a little skeptical that by like the fourth time we see him, we're like, ah, well, you know, because Peyton Manning and I just heard him on Bill Simmons even say, he's not going to criticize quarterbacks. He likes quarterbacks. He was one of them that his goal is to explain what happened. Why did a play go wrong? He's not going to go after the quarterback. So I just wonder if people will just after a while, they'll try it. And then it's either, it's either going to go one or two ways. It's either good. People are going to really enjoy it. And they're going to find it hilarious or people are going to be like, all right, this is, you know, whatever. It's kind of the same old stick and people kind of get tired of it. I don't know. I'm very, I will watch, but I do wonder, I think it's going to go one or two ways. I think it's going to be really funny or really good, or it's going to be a real big disappointment. Well, I mean, I think what Turner or NBA, or NBA TV tried this with the players only NBA broadcast, right? Yeah. Where yeah. there was no play by play guy and it was just the, you know, the three analysts sitting around talking, uh, but obviously in, in a little less formal setting, I think, than the Mannings. I'm surprised they didn't bring in Cooper Manning, the third Manning brother. He's actually really funny. Uh, I think he's actually really good on TV. I'm surprised they didn't bring him in well, for that because I, I wonder he's if that's, a contract with somebody, yes, I think, though, Fox. right? NBC? He's, he's Fox. Fox. That's why he's yeah. probably not involved because he's part of their pregame. One of the there's two pregames on Fox because everybody has two pregames. It's not enough to have one pregame. You have to have a second pregame to have yeah. a pregame to the pregame. Yeah. <laughs> so Cooper is part of the first pregame that has Colin Cowherd and Carissa Thompson, I believe. That is the pregame before the pregame of the Fox pregame show. If you got all that, got it. Got it. All right. So yeah. that's probably why he's not involved. I think he'd be interesting. He's funny, though. I actually really enjoy the the work he does. But to your point, Eric, I think this has the chance to either be the most revolutionary idea ever or a colossal failure, because either you're going to, like you said, you're going to you're going to turn the game on and you're going to be like, oh, just two dudes talking football. Awesome. I don't need to hear the down a distance. I'm smart. I can figure that it's on the screen. I don't need to hear the penalty. I understand what this means. That's holding. I got it. So, I mean, either you're going to watch it and go, this is fantastic. This is just what I wanted. Or you're going to be like, where's the first down marker? How come I don't know about this? Why aren't they going over this? So I think it's going to have the potential to be either a gigantic home run or a colossal failure. I think their personalities will be interesting because, you know, we've seen Peyton on Peyton's places. He's actually pretty funny in that. You know, we saw him Saturday Night Live. Eli, I think, has the potential to do that. We haven't seen him do it as much. Uh, how do they work well together? I mean, well, that'll be a key on, on this one. I'll check it out. I think it has the potential, but e- either it's going to be home run or a complete strikeout. I think if Eli brings what he's brought to Twitter, He'll do just fine because I think yeah. he's uh, he's got some he's got some he's showing some good sense of humor chops and what I do like about this is the fact that they are doing this as a, as an alternate broadcast on ESPN too because so many times ESPN likes to try to revolution thing revolutionize things on the fly on marquee things so I think you know using this this ground is is definitely the right way to go with that now uh, speaking of Monday Night Football the 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 ex uh, Monday Night Football announcer Joe Tessitore who Normally, I am test negative uh, for the most part, uh, just because I think he's a little too game showy. Now, I think he's more suited for college than the NFL by miles. I think the college platform is the right one for him. 
Now, I also will say this too. When he called Mackenzie Milton's return, he was the right guy at the right time because that was right in his wheelhouse. And I thought he did a tremendous job with that. And of course, you know, besides all the feelings we have about seeing McKenzie come back and all that, to me, that was just, to me, that was television gold right there. Yeah, he did a nice job telling the story. Obviously, the three of us know it intimately well, so we, we kind of understand the details. But, you know, I don't assume that everybody across the country understands the story and the, you know, the 30 month, you know, a thousand day journey McKenzie was on. And I thought he did a good job capturing some of that, too, because uh, it was tough because it's also the game was going on live at the same time. Right. And McKenzie's playing well. And so, you know, he, he had to squeeze all that in while, you know, while the game's going on. It wasn't over at that point. McKenzie obviously was 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 playing well and, and Florida State was making a run at that point. Uh, but I agree. I think he's he's a better college fit. I mean, he's a better, you know, uh, sort of wild, everyone's screaming, he's screaming kind of thing. I think I always find the NFL more subdued crowd. Uh, not that they're not exciting, but I always find a little bit more subdued. I think he was the right guy for that. I think he did a nice job overall because um, it was definitely a tricky, uh, you know, a tricky thing to have to call live, you know, getting the story in plus the game is still going on and it's getting good. You know, how do you balance those two things at the same time? I think he did a good job of that. And, and also you don't think you don't know how long McKenzie's going to be in the game when he first comes yeah. in too. For sure. It's very unscripted. You bring up a point, though, Adam, because I was asked about this during the game on Twitter because people like Joe Tessitore. And they were asking me, what is it? Why does he sound better on college than he does in the pros? And why are some broadcasters that way? Because, like, they brought up him, Sean McDonough, for example, did Monday Night Football. Right. You know, some guys, for some reason, just people accept him better doing, like, certain sport than the other, even though they're good broadcasters, right? And I didn't really have a clear answer on that because I like Joe Tister. I like his boxing. Uh, but you're right, Adam. There's something about him in a college atmosphere that the sound, it just sound, it just seems like a better fit. It seems like a perfect fit. It's hard to explain because I think he's, it's not like he's a totally different broadcaster just because he's doing a different, you know, the NFL, but it seems to just kind of fit better in the college. It's very bizarre. It has been, and it's happened with Brad Nessler. I, I brought up the example on social media. Brad Nessler is a great play, basketball play by play guy. But when he was in the, doing the NBA, when he was the lead voice, he got a, he, the NBA fans kind of turned him down because they didn't like it. They kind of were asking for Brent Musburger and things like that. So it's kind of weird. I don't know. Do we as do fans, we do we like a certain broadcasters for certain sports? And then if they do another sport, we kind of find it weird because like Gus Johnson, that kind of happened to Gus, right? He tried soccer and people kind of rejected that. Uh, and it seems like people just like Gus doing certain sports. Uh, well, I don't know. You guys have a better theory than I just came up with there. I think for, I mean, you think about a college broadcast, right? You've got, you know, 18 to 22 year old kids in the stadium watching the game. Like that's obviously the, the bulk of what you're, what you're aiming for. That's a more high energy environment. That's, that's kids jumping up and down, you know, their chest painted, making strange faces, right? That's not an NFL kind of crowd. And it feels like Joe can play off of that as it's happening, right? He can, he can see the kid who's got, you know, LSU painted on his face and make a joke about that. You don't see that unless you're the Raiders, I guess. You don't see that in the NFL. So I think he plays well off of that because I think that he brings that energy. The crowd has that energy. If you're watching, you maybe you're a college kid, you're in that age range. I think that energy translates. But I, I agree a thousand percent. I, I, I don't know if this is a hot take or not. I hated Al Michaels on the NBA coverage. I just could go. never get yeah. used to Al Michaels doing NBA. He was an NFL guy to me when he was on he was on, uh, I think it was ABC at the time during, during the basketball. I just could never adjust to him. Um, and, and, and I don't know why that was, but I, I heard his voice and I'm like, oh, no one's tackling anybody. What's going on here? But I, I think in, in terms of tests and some of those broad 
broadcasters. I think the energy of the crowd, I think, is the difference. I think the NFL is more of a subdued crowd. They're they're not going to be as rowdy a lot. Where college kids are going to paint their face, they're gonna they're gonna make faces. They're going to be shotgun and beers in the stands. You don't always see that in a, in an NFL setting. I think Joe plays off that really well. You know, Sean McDonough might be another example. You know, he was not liked doing the NFL, but Sean McDonough has also been universally accepted in baseball and uh, now going to be the voice of uh, the NHL on ESPN. Right. So, yeah. You know, so it's, it, it is really weird how that dynamic is. And I think the college sports thing is kind of an exclusive kind of thing, I guess. I don't know. It's, 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 just, it's just very odd and it is hard to put your finger on that. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, think I, the only, think. I, I would say the only one that I can think of that maybe has been able to do both pro and college and been accepted is people like Dave Pash, right? Like he's done the college football and ESPN. He does the Cardinals and the NFL. He does the NBA and he does college basketball. I don't I don't hear anybody complaining either way. Right. Except that when he's with Bill Walton, obviously. But <laughs> um, but he's kind of been able to get away with it. So it's kind of weird. Like and it's not like, you know, you I, I agree with what you're saying about the, the, the emotion of the game. But it's not like Joe Buck is being and Jim Nance are being like really boring and talking slow. I mean, they get excited too in the NFL. But I think to your point, they're not getting excited on a second and nine at the at the thirty. Whereas maybe in the college game you do maybe maybe that's part of it. I guess. Well, I just I said earlier like I, I have a hard time buying Jay Williams for NBA. I had a hard time yeah. with Jay, when Jalen Rose was on the college basketball countdown set when they were doing the college game day stuff for basketball and Jalen Rose was on that panel. I had a hard time with that because I, I think Jalen Moore is an NBA guy. Uh, so I, I think I think you're onto something there. It's, it's tough to cross over. I don't know who you would say is, is the best at that kind of stuff, right? Because I think it's, especially from pro to college, I think it's really challenging um, to, to make that kind of leap. Um, you know, because to your point, I think, I think people, especially at college, you associate a big game, an exciting game, a rivalry type game. You know, Chris Fowler on N, on NFL, he would be okay. But to me, I would be like, why is he not calling Clemson, Georgia, right? I think that's where you just get used to voices. You get used to But he got scenes. complimented, though, when he did the Giants-Steeler game, though, which surprised me. I thought there would yeah. be a backlash, but they actually got positive reviews. But that's a one-game stint, right? I think that was more of like a, hey, okay. let's try this one time, and it worked out. Yeah. Now, I, if they did it every game, I'd, I'd be curious what that would look like. Because to your point, there was talk about them trying to do that, right? There was talk about yes. them being the, in the Monday night booth. I would have loved to have seen their reaction if that actually took place. <laughs> yeah, but you, can't, but you can't ever take them off of college, though. No, <laughs> no, no. And they, and they would say, yeah. Chris said that. he College is his first love. Ian Eagle is probably the best to answer your I mean, he's the one that's probably – been accepted as doing NFL. He could do college basketball. He could do the NBA, right? Like, I don't feel like anybody's like one sport or the other. And obviously the top guys, like a Jim Nance, I don't think people are bothered that he's doing the NFL, though it's funny. I still think the majority of people like him better is golf, which is kind of, you know, that's his sport, right? Golf is his sport. But the top guys maybe can kind of slide into that. But it's just a fascinating world because I think you're right. I think people are used to covering a certain sport with a certain voice. And I think it's, you know, the Sean McDonough NHL storyline, Jeff, is a very underrated storyline mm-hmm. because you've had Doc Emmerich at the top of that sport for a long time. Like he's won sports Emmys. How will people react to Sean McDonough as a hockey voice? The thing that will go in his favor is Kenny Albert was the voice last year. So it's not like he's literally following Mike Emmerich, but I will be curious how hockey fans react to Sean McDonough, who did do the Olympic uh, hockey many years ago and used to do the Boston uh, pot. He's a big hockey guy. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, we uh, kind of mentioned uh, Stephen A's name earlier and uh, potentially being part of a uh, NBA show, but uh, on his show first take, and I will tell you, I do not watch this show or, nor any of these other uh, uh, morning debate shows for that matter. But uh 
He has managed to get his co-host, Max Kellerman, booted off the show. Max Kellerman now will go to ESPN Radio to be part of their radio morning show. Um, if I find this one very interesting because this, to me, is like the talent calling the shots at the network. And to me, I think that's a very sticky situation. And now they're going to rotate guys in like Michael Irvin and all that. So basically, we're going to get, you know, whoever yells the loudest is is the right one. I don't know. Um, give me your uh, takes on that. Adam? I think it was interesting. That I think it was Andrew Marchand had this in his article in the post, which was one of the things that, and maybe maybe I think Levitard had it too on, on his show. One of the things Stephen A. didn't like is how nuanced Max was in his arguments. He wants a yeller and a screamer. He wants a Michael Irvin who's going to see who can yell louder. Um, not my particular brand of TV. Like I don't want to have to turn my volume down because two guys are yelling at each other. I want to hear what you have to say. I've just had a hard time you know, Stephen A, uh, Skip Bayless as well. I have a hard time trying to understand, do they really believe what they're saying? Or is this just simply the act of putting on good television? And if it is a good television, they are great at it. Obviously, uh, ESPN invested a lot of money in, in Stephen A, what, $8 million a year, I think, if I have that right, somewhere in that ballpark. So he, he obviously brings in ratings. But as a, as a viewer, I, I don't really know what it is that he really believes. I, I feel like it's just an argument to, to make an argument. Um, I feel like Max tried to bring that nuance but he can get a little bit you know uh, laborious at times as well but by the way side story what a dumpster fire ESPN radio has become these days but um, <laughs> it's just I, I it's it's funny to me that that Stephen A's idea was bring someone else who can yell as loud as me um, and I found it interesting that he wasn't you know he wasn't uh, willing to maybe try to have some more of these intellectual arguments that he just wants to be a, a yelling show which uh, maybe he's got some insight about the, the ratings and how that works I don't know but I to me that's counter to what I would want to see from us for program yeah i think he wanted skip bayless back i think that's kind of what happened uh to fit i actually think this is going to work out for max actually like i think people are making it sound like oh max got kicked out i actually think they did him a favor uh i actually like the move of him going to the uh, radio for that morning show that morning show needed something unfortunately uh subin mehente's had health issues so they're going to put him back to doing sports center which he's fantastic at so i actually think that works Max is actually good on the radio. He's done radio locally, did it in Los Angeles. He's been doing it nationally. I, and he and him and Keyshawn have a history. They've done radio shows before. So I actually think that could work. Plus, he's going to get a TV show out of this. I'm hearing it's going to be in that 2 o'clock block uh, weekdays. So he's probably going to get his own show. So I actually think this is going to work out better for Max uh, from that standpoint. Plus, he's got his boxing show, and he's still involved in boxing. Now they're throwing him into UFC. I don't know about all that, but whatever uh, on that. You mentioned the radio thing. Yeah, but, uh, you know, ESPN Radio could use a guy. If, if they only had a guy like a Mike Golick who has experience <laughs> in radio. Oh, wait, they already did. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, the ESPN Radio is just a dumpster fire. I mean, Barton, uh, Han and Scott are on. I don't I mean, I tried to turn it on the other day. Now, I don't even know who they were, what they were talking about. The Greeny show is interesting. It's basically just a, a two-hour promo for the Get Up show that he just did. Uh, well, on, uh, earlier on Get Up, I and mean, that's pretty much what they do the entire time, right? So basically, you have to watch Get Up to understand his radio show. Because if not, you're, you're lost in that in that realm. Uh, it's just, yeah, yeah, I don't know what happened to ESPN Radio. Yeah. I, well, I, I tell you what happened. They've kind of don't care about it. 
I think they care. Absolutely. Yeah. I I think they care more about the podcast. You look at all, look at the list of podcasts they have on their ESPN uh, deal there. They have a ton of podcasts. I think they just care more about the podcast. I think they only want the radio shows to have something on, on ESPN plus or ESPN news, and then turn it into a podcast because I think that's where this industry is going. Like who really listens to live sports talk radio? Really? Like now you cut lot. Everybody listens to podcasts. I listen to podcasts more than live radio. Radio, Me too. Uh, you know, un- unless you're on a big market. And I think ESPN radio is, for the most part, is not in big markets. And when they are, like in New York, they're going to lose to their counterparts because their counterparts, the WFAA, for example, has more uh, history, more local stuff. So I don't think they care. Like, I, I don't think they care about the ESPN radio. I think they're trying to spend as less money on that. And they just want to turn into content. I think they're all about content and podcasts and, and, and podcast podcasts. Not, and I think the radio is like kind of whatever. Yeah, it, but, it, but it certainly is a, a, a former, former shell of itself. Used to have a great lineup. And now it's the, you know. Oh, yeah. I listen. I used to listen when Tony Bruno, uh, Chuck Wilson, and uh, Peter Brown were the late night sports centers on Sunday night. That was like a big deal. Yeah. Like listening to get the results. And Keith Oberman used to be a part of it. And, and now, you know, I, I listen from time to time. But a lot of times, a lot of the radio shows are like Marty and McGee are on. Well, they're a TV show. You know what I mean? Like the problem in this industry, it's not just ESPN. Every radio show now has to be TV for some reason. It's yeah. turned into that. Colin Cowherd is a TV show. Uh, you know, the morning Rich shows. It, yeah. Rich Eisen's on Peacock. Dan Pat. It's all about TV now more than the radio, even though it's weird because if you look at the TV numbers, and I do, they don't draw big numbers. But because they're spending money, hey, it's a, it's a, it's a tales of two worlds. And look, Colin Cowherd just started his own podcast network. So again, he even he's kind of deviating from the radio markets and going more podcasts. Yeah, it is uh, definitely interesting landscape there. And and then here's a story that caught my eye uh, uh, the other day. Paul Pierce, uh, who of course was part of uh, their NBA coverage and uh, had a little uh, uh, incident with a. Uh, uh, what it was a video with uh, strippers or something uh, along that line. So that kind of uh, led to his exit at the four letter. But, uh, you know, he is definitely now coming out and saying that, you know, he's glad to be away from it because at ESPN, you have to talk all LeBron all the time. And I do find that to be a very compelling uh, statement. Now, I know a lot of that sour grapes, but I do think a big negative of ESPN, especially always pushing the LeBron narrative. And, and to me, he is like the guy, you know, it's it's like Aaron Rodgers, you know, they just kind of suck the life out of it. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Do you think there's credence to what he's talking about? All LeBron all the time. I, I would say, yeah, there probably is a little bit. I don't know if they're like telling him, guys, we got to talk LeBron. Now that's the producer. If the producer is saying, here, here's the LeBron topic and the Paul Pierce has no say. You know, that's probably the issue. I think the problem the ESPN's had with the NBA coverage has always been behind the scenes as just as much as in front of the scene. Because Turner, I think you get a sense when you watch inside the NBA, why they're a great show is because you feel like they're just ad-libbing, right? You don't feel like it's scripted. They're just shooting off the, you know, the hip. And it's entertaining, but they also bring you knowledge, stuff for basketball talk. Whereas ESPN feels like everything's got to be formatted. All right, this is a, a block. You get a say, you get a say. And I'm sure it will seem like LeBron is constantly talked about because on the format, it says, what about what's wrong with the Lakers? What's wrong with LeBron? What's with this? 
Um, so I can see that Paul Pierce, though, is not the guy I want to hear it from because Paul Pierce and LeBron have a well-known rivalry history there. I think that's clear. And Paul Pierce was terrible on TV. I cannot tell you how much I hated Paul Pierce on TV. <laughs> uh, so I was thrilled that he was no longer a part of it. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. If if Paul Pierce was a compelling analyst whose opinions on other athletes I'd want to hear, then sure, I would say, you know, that makes a lot of sense, right? But I, I think what he was the guy who said, what, Dane, Dwayne, he was better than Dwayne Wade or something like that. He had a better career than than yeah. Dwayne Wade, and that became yeah. a, a topic of conversation. I think he just, he he used that gig to settle old scores and to take shots at his old rivals, and that's really what he was there for. Uh, and and sure, does, does LeBron drive traffic? Yes. And I don't, I don't think any of us can dispute that. If you're a producer and you're like, hey, what can we talk about here? Do we want to talk about the six man on the Wizards or do we want to talk about LeBron? You're going to talk about LeBron, right? Uh, and that's and that's what you're going to do. Um, and does and that probably predominate a lot of what's on the show? Yeah, it probably does. But again, I don't, to Eric's point, Paul Pierce is not the voice I want to hear in that. I don't want to hear from from Paul Pierce on what he, what he wanted to talk about because now he's got the forum. Let's hear what he says. I haven't heard Paul Pierce say a single solitary thing of any note since he left ESPN, other than the fact that I'm glad I left ESPN. And he's not alone in that because I think we're all glad he left ESPN. <laughs> that was a that was a parting gift for everybody. About we're all guilty of that. We all do shows like I do the banneret here. All right, we're not going to lead with women's soccer beating number seven Penn State. We're we're going to probably lead with the Big Twelve talk, right? Why? Because that's what's driving traffic. It's driving football. So I think we're all guilty of that in this industry. That what is it that people are interested in? And you know, as great as you know Giannis is, and as great as other stories are in the NBA. You know, people don't care about the Utah Jazz as much as they do about the Lakers. So, unfortunately, yeah, that's going to get the coverage. Just like people are more interested in the Dallas Cowboys than they are about, you know, the L.A. Chargers or whatever. You know, the Detroit Lions. It just is what it is. That's just part of what we deal, uh, part of our deal. All right. Interesting thoughts there. So, uh, Adam brought up something interesting to, to me this week that uh, very important anniversary for ESPN. They're 42nd. I don't know why I just thought that was funny, 42, but uh, it's it's not a 40 or a 45, but 42 is still good. Me too. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, you can say what you want about ESPN uh, in their current form, but to, to see what this, how they, they rose from the ashes, <laughs> you know, way back in 1979. And and how they evolved, and how SportsCenter became, you know, the go-to for for sports news, and how they got involved in the NFL and 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 whatnot, you know, they are a big part of broadcast history. When you when you look at their their full scope of everything and what they've done, what are you some of your favorite things and memories of ESPN? We'll start with you, Adam. So I got you. You mentioned one. I think SportsCenter was the the entree into getting their credibility, right? Because again, you go back to late 90s, you know, that was the show of record. You stayed up till 11 o'clock to see the highlights, right? You you tuned in at 6 p.m. to see who was on the show. Unfortunately, nowadays, you know, a, a play happens at 11.01, you have it on your phone at 11.03. So the, so the need to, to have appointment television for SportsCenter um, has kind of gone away. But so many brands, so many so many people that are in the industry were, were, were brought from that show, right? Dan Patrick, Rich Eisen. I mean, you just name all the guys who came through a SportsCenter and, and where they are now. I think there's two things that stand 
stand out to me that, you know, if I was writing the tombstone of ESPN and you were, you're kind of encapsulating, you know, the two things that I think stood out to me. What do you get? Kill them at 42? They're <laughs> done. The it's, you know, you know, last past 45. Um, PTI is one. I think PTI in the early 2000s revolutionized kind of where we see now. Debate TV is everywhere, but PTI was really the, uh, it was kind of the, the next phase after the sports reporters, which Eric mentioned earlier was a popular Sunday show. ESPN took two guys who were not athletes, who were, who were covering media, and they, they put all new graphics on the screen. Can you guys now imagine a show without a rundown on the side? But that, that didn't happen before PTI. That wasn't a thing, right? Um, and you found two guys who had nuanced opinions, who had takes, but they weren't yelling and screaming at each other. I think that birthed the debate show. And to see that Tony and Mike are still doing that all these years later, um, and all the shows that have now spun off of that, you know, they had a stat boy, which is now Tony Reality, of course, who's, who's gone on to, to great things at ESPN. So I think PTI is one of those seminal programs that kind of changed the trajectory of ESPN. And really, if you think about it, sports television overall. Second for me is 30 for 30s, uh, because I think I love a sports documentary as, as much as the next guy. And before 30 for 30s, ESPN would often throw in that seven minute, you know, sports center feature on something during a show. Maybe you get a 10 minute outside the lines feature. But prior to that, HBO dominated sports documentaries. If that's where you went to watch all your sports documentaries, ESPN took the wheel and, you know, Bill Simmons and some of the folks who, who helped put that together, you know, the brainchild that is fantastic. I'm all in an any 30 for 30. I think they've told a lot of great stories. Uh, I think a lot of great content um, has been made. I think there's still a lot of 30 for 30s. I think one of the more fun things that I sometimes sit around and, and you talk to your friends about what are 30 for 30s that you want to see made, right? And we all have that list. We all have those things that come to mind. So for me, I think the two things that stand out are, are PTI and what that sort of birthed in terms of, of sports television. And then the way they've kind of dominated the uh, uh, the landscape around um, sports, sports documentaries. I mean, HBO got out of the game for a long time, right? I think they finally got back recently with the Tiger Woods stuff and they're, they're trying more stuff now that HBO Max is a thing. But I mean, they essentially took HBO out of the game. Um, and and I think anytime a 30 for 30 is on, you see that you see the, uh, the ratings, right? You see the publicity, you know, the Michael Jordan one, OJ Simpson, you know, some of those big ones uh, definitely get a lot of, get a lot of ratings points. So I think those are two things that stand out that if you think about what ESPN's accomplished, particularly in the last 20 years, um, that to me, you know, really set them apart from others. Eric? I co-sign everything Adam said, especially the Sports Center stuff. How can you not? Going back to Chris Berman, you know, I mean, NFL primetime, really. And that's kind of my, where I'm going to go with this live programming. They were the first to put NFL on cable. 1987. I remember it was the Bears and the Dolphins in a preseason game. I was like, whoa, Mike Patrick's calling the game with Roy Firestone and like, you know, others. And they go from there. They would end up getting Major League Baseball. They would get, you know, and that, that really changed. Think about it. Now we're so accustomed to having sports on cable, but that wasn't in the case until ESPN threw their weight around and got some of those uh, feeds. And then their coverage of the World Cup, which has been fantastic before they lost it to Fox, their coverage of tennis. Uh, the live programming aspect of it, because now you have other networks trying to challenge them. Like, think about it. You know, we have three broadcast networks, CBS, NBC, you know, Fox, and then you have ABC. But yet people still think about ESPN as the number one, you know, brand that people talk about, both positive, negatively, whatever. That tells you how important they are to sports content, sports broadcast. The other one I jump is college game day. Think about how that has changed the scape of college football. I mean, I for Banneret, one of my articles in 2018 that got a ton of clicks, could college game day be coming when did, to UCF? And people like were 
just to calling me a bunch of names because, you know, UCF thought ESPN hated UCF. Like, why are they going to come? They're never going to come. I remember Danny White was like, oh, well, we're trying to tell them to come to the Navy game. And I'm yelling on the podcast, no, they're not going to come to the Navy game. I've been told if you guys, if we stay undefeated and Cincinnati plays well, that's the game day game. And it turns out it was. And you saw the big reaction. People want to know, hey, could this be a game day spot? Think about that. What other shows does that where, man, I hope game day comes here. Is game day going to be here? Um, I think that's changed the landscape of college football coverage. Everybody starts watching college game day. Even their op- uh, this past weekend, they had over 1.7 million watch a, more, a three-hour morning show as strong as ever and it's just something that's tradition uh and just the way they've covered college sports with college basketball the college world series and softball college baseball uh that has been the things that jumps out to me and how it's been a game changer but college game day as somebody who's been to a few college game days that's a to me college game day and inside the nba are the two generational shows that people will be talking about for years for years and years yeah, I would agree right, with that. Go ahead, Adam. Do, do, you, do you guys have a 30 for 30 you want to see made? Put you on the spot? 30 or 30? Gosh. All I got the, two. I can, I can, the, let, all, I can, all I can filibuster. That, Go ahead, fill it. Fill it. Elo knows. <laughs> yeah. So here's one. I think, Elo, you'll appreciate this. I would love to see a 30 for 30 on both the careers and the relationship between Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras, who dominated tennis yeah. over that period of time, who could not have been more polar opposite in terms of the way that their public personas were. And even after tennis, they've had a couple of public tips back and forth, right? They haven't always been as chummy, but they dominated tennis. They were, they were Nike label mates for a period of time. I would love to see a, a, an Agassi Sampras kind of combo documentary, you know, on the on the dichotomy of their lives and kind of how they intersected and sort of where they are today. I think that'd be fantastic. That's really good. Uh, that's really good. They did one on Chris Everett, Martina Navratilova, but that was a lot more friendlier uh, to yeah. your point. I think Sampras Agassi is pretty good. And you can kind of tie that into like what has happened to American men's tennis. So yeah. you could actually because a lot of times the thing I like about the 30 for 30, there's a story, but there's also a story within the story. And so with a Sampras Agassi, you could build around that great rivalry in the peak of American tennis. But then what happened to American tennis? You know, like I love the U, like the two part series about the U. I think those are type of things. They did one with SMU, uh, for example. They did one with USC. Uh, I would like to see that. Uh, Jeff, do you got one in mind? I mean, the only one I did they do one with the Braves? Because the Braves of the 90s, I think, would be. uh, I I don't think. think Yeah, no, I don't think they have. That would be definitely a be something to, to behold the the, uh, the the long 14 year run there that definitely would be good stuff even yeah. you know i know you're you're a heat fan imagine a a, a lebron era 20, a 30 for 30 right him coming to the heat integrating to the heat culture oh, i think that's coming all the time. oh i, oh, like, I think that, that would yeah. be fantastic right yeah i think that's coming i think that once they're done retired that's kind of come about the retirement what led him to miami and the and how it changed the NBA from a free agency standpoint. I agree with you. I think that right there is at the top. I think a Pat Riley one would be good from an yeah. NBA standpoint. Uh, you know, look, I mean, not to sound like we're homers here, but I think the Mackenzie Milton story here is pretty yeah. darn good, right? I mean, we're watching it. Like they did an E60 on Alex Smith. I think they could expand something to that with McKenzie and maybe the UCF rise here of that 2017 season as part of a subplot to a 30 for 30 from that standpoint because of, of so many of the plot lines with McKenzie. I think that's from a college football standpoint. I think that would be fascinating uh, to see. And look, I, one of my other favorites they did was the, the Big East, right? The end of the Big East basketball. 
Yep. We're probably going to see something like this with the Oklahoma, Texas to the SEC, the Big 12. We're pro- what we're witnessing right now, that's probably definitely a 30 for 30 I like to see, especially the part about how did Greg Sankey, while he's working in the same room with Bob Bowlesby, took Texas and Oklahoma away from him. You know that's coming. I mean, come on. <laughs> I got I got one more for you. The intersection between Joe Theismann and Lawrence Taylor. That that that, that play, um, which you know, 1985, right? You didn't see a lot of gruesome injuries on TV. Uh, you just mentioned Mackenzie Milton, Alex Smith, guys who had to come back. Obviously, Theismann, you know, medical things were different back then. Where their careers went after that, and and how much that play kind of impacted both of those two guys. I'd love to see uh, something on those two guys. Obviously, LT has a really interesting past, right? And and uh, he had he's had his moments. Theismann obviously wasn't able to really recover from that injury and moved into media. I'd love to see you know that day from '85 and and sort of the lead up and where they've been after that. Too. Yeah. And also kind of to echo uh, Eric's thoughts on, you know, what ESPN has meant, you know, beyond college game day, just the the volume of college sports, which you which you reference, you think about, uh, you know, they were actually the first to cover the early rounds of the NCAA basketball tournament back in the back in the day. Uh, NBC and CBS would only pick things up uh, later on in the tournament. You did not see first and second round game. You might see some second round games on the weekend, but you did not see the wall to wall coverage. So they were the first to uh, to trot that out there. So you can give them their place in, in, in that aspect. And the other thing you think about is the NFL draft, right? Mm. <laughs> this was used to be in a conference room at a hotel. And now is a mega on-site, you know, multi-network production. Uh, so you look at the, the thing that they uh, they put in down there. And, and they did a 30 for 30 on the 83 draft, Elway to Marino. Fantastic, yeah. It was a fantastic one. Part of it was how the NFL draft has kind of exploded from that point on. To your point there, Jeff, about how that part of it is kind of exploded in that regard, I think would be fascinating to say that. By the way, it's worth pointing out they are ESPN's already ahead on the UCF thing. They're doing a behind the scenes on this year's UCF team. So, uh, and I think you're going to, you know, my only thing that I'm concerned about the 30 for 30 is are we going to start seeing more of those type of shows on ESPN Plus instead of ESPN Linear? I think is that's the interesting thing to follow. Yeah. Yeah. But Eric, you got to know producers over there. Get us, get us, a, get us in the in the room here. Let's let's pitch some of these. Get us a producer credit. You got to know somebody over there. I hope so, but I feel like the Manning's already stole your show, so you never uh, know. Like, I mean, that's that's they just take it. Uh, that would be something. I know. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of wild there. But you know, that's you're right. I think the thirty for thirty is a fascinating one. That uh, I think they could probably do. I get. I bet you they're going to do more hockey ones now that they have the rights to the NHL. I don't know if there's a hockey one that jumps out. Maybe the Rangers '94 Cup. That would be my thought, yeah. Right? They won the cup. I do think the Braves would be fascinating because I think people have forgotten now how big of a deal that was because they were on Turner. Like, you could do two stories there. The fact they were on cable TV, they were like a knack. They got their own platform, which has paved the way now for all these Major League Baseball teams like the Yankees on Yes and the Red Sox on Ness. And the Braves and the Cubs were kind of ahead of time in that. Yeah, no question. And, of course, you know, way back in 1984 – I actually uh, did a show on WKIS. It was on the fifth anniversary of ESPN Radio. And my guest was Bob Lee, who actually got him to record a You're Listening to Jeff Allen uh, drop that I got to the use. The general, it. wow. Yeah. And wow. of course, you know, back then, it was, uh, it, was, it was still very much questionable if ESPN would still survive. Uh, it wasn't until they were bought by ABC and Capital Cities, I believe, at the time, that uh, in you because they were owned by Getty Oil uh, mm-hmm. in in the, in the Northeast there, and they bled they bled money, and it it took a long time. And you think of you know where they were teetering 
uh, you know, and then eventually they would, uh, the, you know, college, I think college football was probably the, the, the biggest thing that maybe propelled them because then that got them the ability to do the NFL. You know, they did the USFL, uh, which kind of gave them a little uh, training ground uh, for that. And, you know, I always think back to that Sunday night booth of Mike Patrick, Joe Theismann, and Paul McGuire. That was an outstanding broadcast. I always enjoyed, uh, I could always say sometimes you would even enjoy it more than Monday night, but, uh, uh, <laughs> Anyway, I digress on that. So uh, go ahead. Well, Joe, I think I think, you know, um, you've upgraded. You went from Bob Lee to me and Eric. Um, I think you've I think you've definitely you're on the upswing uh, on that one, if I if I can say so myself. Yeah, no, most definitely. Most definitely. Um, so one more topic that's going to be off broadcast because uh, uh, Eric mentioned this during the week. Thought it'd be fun to discuss uh, UCF Hall of Fame for 2021. Um Boy, this is a this is a great class. Uh, certainly, uh, some some big names on there. Uh, you know, we start with uh, Blake Bortles. Uh, you know, first New Year's Six win for uh, UCF, a great championship season uh, that year. Of course, what was it? I always remember the uh, the director of the Fiesta Bowl when they were giving him the uh, the, the the trophy and called him Blake Bortles. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds it sounds fancier. I think the thing about Blake that people forget, obviously, you know, he, he had some big games. He, you know, uh, fifty six career touchdown passes. Right, he really only played um, two seasons. Right, that first year he split time with Jet Godfrey. He only threw six touchdowns his first year in twenty eleven. So that's really the the bulk of two seasons. Uh, and he did that under George O'Leary's offense, who uh, by by no means was he an open offensive playbook kind of guy. Uh, he put up some big numbers. Obviously, a part of a lot of big wins at, at UCF. Still the highest draft pick ever in UCF history um but I'm, I'm confused maybe eric can uh, can set me straight on this one i thought there was a bylaw that you had to have graduated from ucf to be so, so, so did he go back or did they change that rule i am so glad you asked me because i'm the right guy for this because i i have obsessed about this hall of fame thing probably more than anybody i've did i've written lengthy uh, rankings list on black and gold banner the greatest athletes of all time and hall of fames and who should be in so i have studied their rule book on this and i've talked to people about this the, I, I asked that exact question about him and Jermaine Taylor. Because the same thing applied to Jermaine Taylor from what I was told. In fact, that's why Jermaine didn't make it in the last class, I was told, because of the lack of the degree that you're talking about. The answer that I was given by a source about this is they both were, quote, on good academic standing when they left. Read that wherever you want to read into it. I think they're softening that rule, and they should. Because let's be real, more college athletes are departing early and you can't punish a guy for going pro. Like, mm -hmm. why are you punishing Blake Bortles for going number three in the NFL draft? Sorry, you, you left early. You didn't come back for your degree. The guy made millions. Like, you know, they get their degree, great. But I don't think that should be a, pre, a requirement for the Hall of Fame. So I think to answer your question, that's kind of why I think Blake got in. Um, and Jermaine Taylor, who I think is the greatest basketball player in the history. Like, how can you have a Hall of Fame and not have your greatest basketball player in program history? I don't care that he left early or didn't finish or whatever. Uh, the Blake thing I find fascinating. I don't know if you both agree. I think he's become underrated. Like, we've kind of cemented, like, hoisted Mackenzie Milton as the greatest quarterback of all time. And I'm okay with that. And Culpepper, why isn't Blake brought up? I just looked this up and I'm going to, you know, I'm talking about this on the banneret. Blake Bortles led six fourth quarter drives in those two years, five of them in 2013, including the famous Louisville game, which is coming up in 2013, which I think is the most, one of the most significant football games in the history of this totally. program. Yeah. Went down 28 to seven. I remember I was at a, a local an establishment, we'll call it sports bar since they don't sponsor 
And a lot of people are like, oh, we're going to get blown out by Teddy Bridgewater, and it's done. They make this comeback, and he has that drive and hits Jeff Godfrey for the touchdown. They don't win that game. They don't play in that Fiesta Bowl against Baylor. He led them in the comeback that year against South Florida, comeback against Temple, comeback against SMU. I'll be honest with you guys. If you ask me one drive, game on the line, your life is on it, which UCF quarterback do you pick? I think I picked Blake Bortles because I've seen it do it time and time again. In comparison, Mackenzie Milton has only had two fourth quarter comebacks, and there's an asterisk on that because one of them was the Mike Hughes touchdown against South Florida. So did he really lead that comeback? I mean, so I think Blake Bortles should be in the conversation with Milton and Culpepper right there among the great as far as the greatest quarterback in uh, UCF history. Well, he's he's in a weird space, right? Because you have you have the Dante Truthers, right? Who were around back then. Who every time he's not mentioned, they you know what about Dante? That's what about a nice Dante? that's a nice that's wall a nice, there. Yeah, nice. <laughs> you have that. You have the Dante Truthers who always want to throw that in there. But then you have the recency bias of of Milton and and Dylan Gabriel is going to start getting that. He's going to start breaking these records if he stays for another another two seasons. He's going to break a ton. Of, he's going to own all the records at that point. Blake kind of falls in that middle section, right? If, if you're not a Dante Truther and you you're not a a, a recent guy with with Milton or with with, with Dylan, I think Blake kind of falls victim to that little that kind of chasm in between those those periods. But you're you're right, you know his his stats obviously speak for themselves. Uh, and I think the way he led the team obviously speaks for itself as well. I mean, I think you know he he came in, he had to unseat a Jeff Godfrey who had led UCF in 2010 to you know uh, heights that we hadn't seen at that point in time. Obviously, Godfrey had his own stuff, but to take the team over to be a young quarterback to to work with George O'Leary, who everyone by all accounts is not an easy thing to do, and to have success, um, and then get. You know, the third pick in the draft. I mean, I, I, yeah, it, it's it, it was a crime. He wasn't in sooner. Um, so I'm glad whatever they worked out, Eric, with the transcripts and whatever they're doing. Just stay days, on good academic standing. Stay on good academic standing, guys. Yeah, I'm now, glad now. he passed coaching football or whatever class he took. <laughs> so, so so do you do you think do you think he would have been thought of differently had he stayed for a senior season? Oh, wow. Is he, uh, that's hard. It depends, right? Because like, could they have followed up that year? We don't know. Like, Hmm. You know, I, th- I think with him, uh, let's be real, with respect to Justin Holman, he probably would have been an upgrade. Obviously, he's an upgrade, but it's hard, man. There was something, there's something to be said about finishing on top and that performance against Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl. Like, I don't blame him for, like, the stock was as high as it's ever going to be oh, for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I don't blame him for that. I think, I just think he should get more respect. And I think this is a good part of it, but I think he should like his number five should be retired or whatever you want to, however you want to honor it. You know, they have those four numbers at the stadium. They showcase like they showcase Culpepper during the Boise State game on TV. That number five with Bortles should be somewhere in that stadium because he's he was fantastic to watch. I covered him. It was fun. to, And, you know, his NFL career. I think he took a bad rap. He did some good things there. He just played on a bad organization. With no offensive line. <laughs> and he was in an AFC title game where he was throwing the ball well. And yeah. they and they, they wouldn't let him throw in the fourth quarter. They would try to run it with Leonard Fournette. He was this close to getting him to the Super Bowl. Uh, I think he's right there in the conversation. I think he has an argument to be the greatest UCF quarterback with Milton and Culpepper. I think if you did a tiers, that's my tier one for UCF quarterbacks right now is those three. I would probably put Dylan Gabriel as of now, obviously could change depending on what happens in tier two with the Ryan Schneiders and the Tyson, you know, and the Hinshaws of the world uh, for UCF history uh, there. But look, this is a strong class. Jermaine Taylor, greatest basketball player ever. I mean, right. There's not even a close. Does does Bo Clark get a, 
Well, they're, they played it. They played in different divisions, so it's hard to compare. But I mean, those are top two. But Jermaine yeah. like led the NCAA in scoring in Division One. Sure. Yep. Uh, star player in the Big Three basketball. Played in the NBA. Yeah. Played in the NBA. I think he was in the wrong era in the NBA. If he was like now playing basketball, I think he would still be in the NBA. Hmm. Interesting. And of course, uh, Fia Charles Wilson uh, was uh, UCS first track and field Olympian. Fia Charles, yeah, Fia Charles, the Olympics in 2012 in London. Yeah, uh, and uh, Natalie Land. Soft I've heard of her. Off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think Eric, Eric could give give us the whole. Life yeah, I'll cede my that. time to Eric on that one for sure. <laughs> so probably the best pure softball athlete I've ever seen in person. In the 15 years she was a star basketball player and a softball player to the point where when she was being recruited. Not only they were recruiting to come here to play softball, they were also she was also being recruited to play basketball at Florida, and she might have even come here. She could have been a two sports star, probably the second best offensive player in program history behind Stephanie Best. Uh, that's my Cliff Notes version on that. Yeah, and then of course uh, Josh Sitton, uh, longtime uh, offensive lineman, Pro Bowl offensive lineman, in the probably the best offensive yes. lineman in UCF football history when you include the NFL career. I think he's the first offensive lineman inducted since um been a been a while, hasn't it, Jeff? I think since Mark Guderoy, I want to say. Yeah, Mark Guderoy, yeah. Right? Yeah, that was probably and he, right. he's also the quintessential Georgia O'Leary recruit, right? A two-star kid out of Pensacola. Um, we had Matt Prater on the show, I don't know, years ago, and he told us a story about how George O'Leary just used to just relentlessly give it to Josh Sitton, you know, on the flight to the Hawaii Bowl said something to the effect of don't go swimming out there because, you know, they they harpoon people as big as you, stuff like that. And and for, for Sitton to kind of take some of that abuse, turn himself into a, a great NFL pro out again of a two-star recruit, that's like the quintessential George O'Leary story. You know, yeah, and Adam, I owe you this for Matt Prater. Oh, thank you. oh <laughs> finally, you get the bell for a thank change you. here. I got a question for both of you because I, I'm only, I'm. This is why I'm weird. I think of this stuff. Nobody else does. Jermaine Taylor wears number one. So did BJ Taylor. So what do you do? How do you honor Taylor now? Like at the basketball games, like you can't, you can't retire as number one, right? Because that's BJ's number as well. So what do you do there? What do we do? Help um, your wall of fame, it, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I think you put you put their you know their name up in like a ring of honor situation. Their name, right, the years they go. played, right? Because yeah. I mean, same problem. I mean, UCF's given out number eight. Zamari Maxwell is wearing number eight at UCF. I mean, oh, don't I'm remind not, me of that. Don't I'm not gonna <laughs> listen. He seems like a nice kid and everything, but I mean, uh, let's let's just all be honest with where we are with that. Um, but Storm Johnson wore number eight, and he he was a good player. Dale Mack wore number eight. He was a solid player for the couple of games that he got in there. So I think you put him in a ring of honor situation. You know, the years they played, if he scored a certain number of points, whatever they want to do with that. But I think you ring of honor that. Is that jersey signed by Culpepper? Did you is. have it? Wow. That is it. So are you, call, are you a Culpepper truther? I mean, you have to I be. Think, I think, yeah. Listen, I think he doesn't get the amount of respect that he deserves because a lot of people didn't see him play. And if you saw him play, he was UCF football. Yeah. He was he was 1A, 1B, and 1C for UCF football back in those days. And if he played in today's era now, I mean, he, he would just be setting records oh, everywhere. He would yeah. be running people over. He had a cannon for an arm. I mean, he would he would absolutely just be tearing up uh, you know, college football if he played in today. He just kind of played in the wrong era. Um, but obviously, I think, you know, but he was a, he was a really good NFL quarterback before he got hurt. Yeah, he had some he had some years with the Vikings. I mean, yeah, I think he's he's, he's 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 in that Mount Rushmore UCF football player discussion for sure. Oh yeah, totally. I would agree with that. Well, guys, this has been fun as always. We'll figure out a we'll we'll we'll, we'll have to come up with a name for it. Uh, yeah, we have to have some we have to have some branding. I think so. So mm. we'll, we'll, we'll 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 the continue. sons of media. <laughs> mm. 
It's got a ring I, to it. Yeah. Sons yeah. of Media Banneret. I don't know. We could combine all names. The Jeff <laughs> Sons of Media or something. <laughs> Sons of Media Report. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's a, quite a mashup there, guys. That's yeah, awesome. That works. Adam Eaton, Eric Lopez, as always, thank you so much for being on. Anytime. Thanks, Jeff. Always a pleasure. Anytime, Jeff. And we'll be right back to close out with a TV theme in just a moment. No Republicans, no Democrats, no team from Washington, no team with a star on the side of their head. We don't even talk about alpha and beta storms around here. And if you believe all of that, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Captain and Company in the morning, join me 9 to noon weekday mornings on OldSchool101.com because class is always in session around here. Virus or no virus. I know my loved me Stand behind me Come what may mm. I know now That I'm ready yeah. For I finally heard him say It's a different world Ooh, And where you come from The city is now Yeah Here's our chance to That the theme of a different world, which aired for six seasons on NBC from September 1987 to July of 1993. And of course, that theme by the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, which was not the original theme. Uh, Phoebe Snow sang it in season one, Aretha, seasons two through five. And then for unknown reasons, they switched it in season six to Boys to Men and Terrence Forsyth. But, uh, I think Aretha's version obviously used the longest and most synonymous with the show. A Different World was centered on Denise Huxtable of The Cosby Show. So Lisa Bonet, uh, she goes off to college to Hillman, a fictional historically black college in Virginia. And the series inspired by student life at HBCUs. And after her departure in the first season, the remainder of the series then focused towards Southern Belle Whitley Gilbert Wayne, played by Jasmine Guy, and math whiz Dwayne Cleophas Wayne, Dwayne Wayne, played by Kadeem Hardison. The original premise was to focus on a white student at an HBCU and feature also Lena Horne as an acting teacher, but in production, they changed it from being about a white student in a black college to a black student in a black college with a white friend. And it was ultimately decided that Denise, who was of college age, would be spun off from the Cosby show and had that white roommate to uh, show that dynamic of, of a white girl in predominantly black surroundings. It is said that Meg Ryan was originally cast for this role, but opted for her pursuit of a film career. And Marissa Tomei was cast, who ended up being a big film star in her own right. Uh, I think that's uh, one of those in uh, Wikipedia that has the old quote citation needed. Uh, so it could be urban legend that Meg Ryan was going to be part of that, or it could be true. And the first season of Hillman's student body consisted of both black and white students in equal numbers, but this was changed at the beginning of season two because it was kind of pointed out to the Cosby uh, folks and the producers that it was not 
accurately portraying historic, historically black college life on campus. So Debbie Allen, an alumna of Howard University, she was uh, brought in as the chief creative force to revamp the show. And so when Lisa Bonet announced that she and husband Lenny Kravitz were having a baby, Allen was in favor of having her as a young pregnant student in the show, but Bill Cosby said that Lisa Bonet may be pregnant, but not Denise Huxtable. Uh, he didn't think that it would uh, they would accept Denise as an unwed mother, having known her as a good girl after her four seasons on The Cosby Show. So she would drop out of a Hillman return home to The Cosby Show. And uh, Alan was also in favor of keeping uh, uh, Marissa Tomei as the white student on staff, and she wanted to continue to relate those stories. But uh, Marissa decided to leave the show. Other cast members... Uh, in addition to Lisa Bonet, Marissa Tomei, um, Jasmine Guy, and Kadeem Hardison, Don Lewis played Jalisa Vincent Taylor. Uh, Mary Alice was a Letty Bostic. Loretta Devine played Stevie Rattlin only in season one. Daryl M. Bell, who played uh, uh, Dwayne Wayne's best friend, Ron Johnson. Uh, he was a recurring character in season one, main cast the rest of the way. Sinbad! comedian was coach walter oaks and he was on through season four uh charnel brown came in uh from season two onward playing kimberly reese Cree summer as freddie banks she would be on also through those seasons as well as uh, glenn turman as colonel bradford taylor lou myers as vernon Gaines, and uh an interesting character that would come along in the last two seasons, the recurring in five and in the main in six, was one Jada Pinkett Smith. Of course, she was just Jada Pinkett at the time. That was long before uh, her uh, marriage to Will Smith to form the power couple that they would end up becoming. A Different World, our TV theme for this week. And with that, we are done here.